0: Hello, my name is John Stringfellow, And you're listening to No Strangers Here On 88.5 FM WCUG Cougar Radio Welcome back Uh, We're continuing with our theme of Going through the different time periods of history In terms of poetry Uh, And for this episode I decided to Choose The Altar by George Herbert So a little background information here about George Herbert, uh, especially with his poems. Uh, He liked to shape many of his poems, especially during the years between, I believe, 1633 and 1640, uh, right around that time. There was a period where he would shape his poems uh, in different shapes uh, in terms of, you know, objects or animals. And that is, for me personally, very interesting because I don't believe we saw anything quite like that again until right around the early 20th century. Uh, with I know there was a French poet who did a similar uh, sort of style in which he would take uh, the images of wind or the, oh, a river stream and then write poems in those shapes. Uh, And I also believe Emily Dickinson as well uh, did something similar, but she wrote many of her poems uh, based on the limitations that she presented for herself. Uh, For example, I understand that a lot of her poems, in fact, were written on the backs of letters. Uh, So she would write those poems on the envelopes for those letters. But when I mean by shapes, I mean these these poems are physically based off of real life shapes. And in this case, for the altar, the poem itself is shaped like an altar, like you would see uh, a priest giving a sermon from. And we also know, because from this poem, the shape, the reasoning behind it, was that uh, George Herbert was trying to design Uh, or illustrate the myriad links between the Human Temple and the Church of England Uh, which for Herbert uh, religion of course during this time was very very much involved with our their daily lives it was not easily heard of to say the least that people strayed away from religion back then Uh, It's hard to believe that anyone could openly admit that they were not religious back then. uh, Or at least not have some sort of spiritual connection back then. Uh, But in this case, we will see how George Herbert interprets religion for himself uh, based on this poem. So, I will recite for you the altar by George Herbert. A Broken Altar... Lord thy servant rears, made of a heart and cemented with tears, whose parts are as thy hand did frame, no worksman's tools hath touched the same. A heart alone is such stone as nothing but thy power doth cut, wherefore each part of my hand-heart meet in this frame to praise thy name, that if I chance to hold my peace, These stones to praise thee may not cease. Oh, let thy blessed sacrifice be mine, and sanctity this altar to be thine. So reading this, um, not only am I impressed, just to say the least, the overall shape of the poem, um, with the first two lines, they make up the where I would imagine for many of us was where the, the Bible in the book where that would lay. And then towards the middle, it sort of acts as the column supporting the, the altar, um, in which case the ending of the poem mirrors what the poem begins with. Uh, so here we see the rhyme scheme, uh, rears, tears, AA, frame, same BB. Uh, alone, stone, cc, But cut, dd, heart, heart, frame, name, PC. mind, thine. But what's also interesting is the fact that in the shape of it, um, symbolically, the lines get sh- or start off long, and then they get shorter, and then they get real short for a little while, uh, where it says, A heart alone is such a stone as nothing but thy power doth cut wherefore each part of my hard heart meets it this frame to praise thy name and then it gets longer again that if I chance to hold my peace there are stones to praise thy not cease and then with the last two lines oh let thy blessed sacrifice be mine and sanctify this art altered to be thine so it's interesting that not only did Herbert here Want to make some sort of commentary on religion But he felt that the best vessel To do such was to Emulate the shape of an altar And we all recognize altars as being More or less Kind of like a, a stump to stand on it's, it's a chance for A speaker, or in this case a priest To give a sermon, to give his word uh, And to More or less teach But it, it's interesting that Commentary made on religion should be morphed into an altar. Um, So to make commentary of religion, whether good or bad, can be more or less seen as a challenge, Uh, even if it is praise. um, To make commentary, I imagine for many people, it may, may seem almost as if you're challenging or almost as if you're... Uh, attempting to discredit, you know, the the religious faith. So for here, um, and especially within within the lines themselves, we can probably see how George Herbert feels truly about religion. Uh, and he starts off by saying, "A broken altar, Lord, thy servant rears." Um, so. An altar, again, as we know, is, is sort of like a, a way for people to communicate, uh, at least a leader to communicate to his followers. Um, so to have a broken altar uh, may be a way to say that the leader themselves are broken, that their words do not truly reach uh, their listeners. Uh, and then Herbert here says, Lord, thy servant rears. Um, so rears can be uh, often connected to the idea of raising, uh, in terms of you know raising children, raising people. Uh, but also we can put this in the context of caring or holding. So a broken altar, Lord, thy servant rears. Uh, so with a servant uh, could be anywhere from a priest to a follower of the religion. Uh, it could be anything within that but we know that whoever this servant is whoever they are within the faith uh, that what they carry with them is a broken altar uh, and that this broken altar is made of a heart and cemented with tears whose parts are thy handed frame no work tools hath touched the same so not not only is this a broken altar but this is a very specific very personal altar this altar was made out of heart was cemented with tears uh, and, and the, the hearts uh, and tears That make up this altar uh, were, were personally framed by hand The owner of this altar And that Herbert here says No workman's tools hath touched the same Meaning more or less that This altar was so Personal and so perfectly designed by whoever owns it or whoever carries it um, that tools cannot replicate it. It's, it's like trying to temper with diamonds, more or less, essentially. Uh, they cannot be remade. It's got that sort of magic feel to it. Um, the best analogy I can think of is, for example, um, there's a movie called... Big Trouble in China, which personally is one of my favorites, starring Kurt Russell, and uh, was made during the '80s. And that movie, in and of itself, is incredibly cheesy, um, but it's a very fun action film. Uh, Some some people may be turned away by it because of how bad the acting is, uh, or perhaps of how cheesy the movie seems or looks. Uh, But personally, I love that film. Uh, It's one of my favorites. And Kurt Russell is one of my favorite actors of all time, um, but for me, when I heard the news that Dwayne the Rock Johnson, uh, all respect to him, he wanted to remake or reboot the film, it, it was very sad for me. The idea of of trying to replicate the the magic I got out of Big Trouble in Little China. So in the same way, um, George Herbert here is saying that the, the servant who rears this specific altar. Um, the altar is so personal, um, and so perfect and so magical, um, that no one should and no one could replicate that sort of same magic that this altar has. Granted, even though it's broken. So maybe we can think of this altar, this broken altar, maybe a question of one's faith. Um, that it started off strong, made out of one's heart, made out of one's tears, um, and that the, the the overall framing of it was so deep and so personal to them that this couldn't be done again for the same person. But now we know that it's broken, that this altar is no longer perfect, that this altar has since been. And so with that, the next stanza, or next few lines, follow as, A heart alone is such a stone as nothing but thy power doth cut. Um, so a heart alone, um, that could be meaning that the, the rear or the servant that rears the broken altar um, is alone. That he is by himself or she is by themselves and that they do not have any sort of connection anymore personally with perhaps God or perhaps religion in, a, in and of itself uh, or also with others. And because of that, it has made their heart hardened. It has made themselves a more colder person in demeanor. And because of such, George Herbert says, "...as nothing but thy power doth cut." Um, saying that they cannot be changed, perhaps. That because their heart is now hardened to a sort of stone and they've become such a cold, callous person... Um, that nothing can really change them again. There's nothing powerful enough to move them, to to cut their heart, you know. Um, they've already suffered so much and you know, have already done so much that nothing could change them ever again. Uh, and within the next lines, we read, Wherefore each part of my hard heart meets in this frame to praise thy name. So wherefore each part of my hard heart meets in this frame so knowing that the altar was crafted and made uh, within that person's heart with their tears uh, we know that this altar obviously means more than just a physical object like an altar this is their. this could be interpreted as this person's faith as their trust in the Lord in religion but because it has been broken uh, because now it is cold your heart that is um, we now know that each part of that hard heart um, has changed the altar altogether. this altar is no longer the same altar um, the, another example I can think of is there was a famous uh, philosophical question uh, and forgive me for not being able to recall from the top of my mind but the, the question essentially says that if a ship is rebuilt out of different wood, like if you were to take out each plank of the ship and replace it with a new plank, if you were to completely do that and replace all the planks with new ones, is it still the same ship? Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I believe that's an, a, a Greek or Roman a philosophical question asking, you know, if you were to change every plank of wood with a new piece of plank of wood, is it still the same ship? Um, For example, if you were to take your jacket and notice that some thread was coming loose and over time you kept replacing those different pieces of thread with new ones, is your jacket still the same jacket after you've completely replaced all the thread? So in the same way, this altar, now that it's been broken, now that the person who owns the altar, their heart is turned to stone, um, this altar for them no longer is the same altar. Uh, wherefore, each part of my heart heart meets in this frame. So each part of the altar could represent a different emotion, a different detail of trust that has, that were, once was their heart. Um, when it felt alive, when they felt joy, when they felt warm. But now, having, having that faith broken, they have nothing to depend upon. They have nothing to move forward with. It's broken, and it can't be fixed. So, wherefore, each part of my hard heart meets in this frame to praise thy name. So, again, this brings back up, you know, this is perhaps a loss of faith. This is something that has shaken or uh, erupted one's faith in the Lord, in religion. And within the next lines we see that if I chance to hold my peace, these stones to praise thee may not cease. And that's interesting. That if I chance to hold my peace, these stones to praise thee may not cease. So it it would seem to me, reading that and thinking about that, this person, though their faith has been questioned by themselves, and though they're cold and callous to the idea of what their faith was, it would appear that there's still some small part of them that wants to believe in God again. There's still some part of them that wants to be truthfully faithful and religious um should I chance to hold my peace, or that if I chance to hold my peace. So that means if you know for me at least, it means should I ever try to find my peace again, or should I ever do find my peace again? These stones to praise thee may not cease. So in a way he's saying that if I were to find my faith again, I may always be religious then. Um, I may always praise the Lord's name and I may always trust my faith again. But in the next two lines, he sort of changes his meaning of wanting to be religious again. Oh, let thy blessed sacrifice be mine and and sanctify this altar to be thine. So, We know the sacrifice for any of those who are religious or any of those who are familiar with religion at least know that in the Bible, Jesus sacrificed himself to save the sins of others. He does it to represent and to more or less cleanse his followers um, to show that he is not dying in vain, that this sort of symbolism of his actions represents the people who follow him, that just because their their leader, their Messiah may die, they will still continue on in good faith to believe, trust in him, and because of that trust and because of that faith um, and that loyalty, we later on read in the Bible that Jesus does come back um, from the dead, he is resurrected. But the thing is is with this herbert here says oh let thy blessed sacrifice be mine and sanctify this altar to be thine which thine translates to yours so it it seems as though this servant who rears the broken altar doesn't want the altar to be his anymore it seems that all of his faith in religion has been because of his own actions But he doesn't want that anymore. He wants to have faith that is undying, faith that is unquestionable. So instead of him carrying this altar, him owning his altar, his faith in religion, he wants to give it to God instead. He wants to no longer have to worry about carrying this altar should it ever be broken. But by giving it to God or the Lord, um, he knows that it will always be safe. But this is all contingent upon if should he ever find his peace again, should he ever find faith and religion again. So for many, you know, that can sound as though this guy is irresponsible. This guy doesn't want to be the one to carry his own faith anymore. Uh, But for others, this may sound like this guy's last chance at being religious um and i myself had a religious background i no longer would consider myself religious i would consider myself as agnostic um uh, but having my own religious background as i'm sure many of my listeners do or at least have uh, The idea of trying to believe in faith again To get back into religion After having it You know Broken for you uh, Is very Very hard to do In a way it's like Living by your own truth For so long And then One way or another Someone Or somehow Or even you Question that truth You wonder You know I believe in this this is something that i hold dear to my heart and was part of me for so long but now i'm wondering i'm wondering if i'm wrong you know and then when you think about it and when you look into the science and the research they're conducted you really do begin to question your faith more harshly and you really take it upon yourself to think for yourself Maybe I'm not religious as I used to think I was. And then that faith may be broken, much like George Herbert's speaker here, in which case his altar, his faith, is broken. Though we may not know how or why, all we know is that this speaker in his moment, at this time, has already broken his faith, or it has been broken for him, and that he still wants to believe. He still wants to think, that he's right. He still wants to know that what he believed in is still true, and that sort of idea that that we may be wrong, but we still want to believe in it, is something that I have seen so often, so often in our daily lives, regardless of your background, regardless of um, any sort of personal morals or virtues you may have, there probably was at one point in time that you questioned yourself, that you wondered, am I really fighting the good fight? Is what I'm doing truly what's best for me, but also for others around me, for my loved ones? And that's a hard question to ask, especially for someone who lived with these sort of ideas for so long. Um, being raised, being all that they know. And when you do question that, when you do sort of bring that to your own attention, and if you do decide to leave it behind, you begin to wonder, well, what do I do now? What What's my next step? This is all I've ever known. This is all I've ever been raised and taught to know. How do I live on and also be happy about? That's not just religion But that's everything in society That's everything from politics To philosophy To Morals and beliefs That's even down to the very To the very minute things like You know Whether or not you should buy an Apple product Or whether or not you should drive a Honda You know Um, And granted you know The arguing with yourself whether or not you should buy an Apple product or drive a Honda um, is, uh, <laughs> is not maybe as existentially critical as believing one's faith or changing political ties or um, choosing a different philosophical viewpoint. Uh, but it's still one of those changes that creeps up on you that you you don't really notice until it's maybe too late or or until it's really becomes obvious to you. Um, So for me in in this poem by George Herbert it I can't say for sure whether or not George Herbert himself was questioning his own religion at this time or if he was writing this poem based on others around him that were questioning their religion at this time but the act of questioning one's religion during this time is scary to say the least i mean we learn and we know better these days that there's so much to life other than just religion and there's so much that can be done without the context or without the use of religion necessarily but back then that was that was all they knew more or less There wasn't much outside of religion that was able to answer their questions in terms of what does my life mean? What does the world mean? What is the meaning to life? And when asked these questions or when they brought these questions upon themselves, they turned to religion. That was all that they had um, during this period of time. This was before... Many people were considered well read, or at least had some skills to read and write. Um, this was a point of time when people had to o- only had to focus on survival and focus on being able to live and, and, and work towards a family. So to question the only thing you have in your life that you were raised upon that you were Given is is a very scary thought, even to this day. Uh, it's it can be incredibly scary for someone to worry or question about their faith. But it's it's nonetheless important. It's nonetheless human to question one's faith in what's right, what's wrong, and what's in the middle. <laughs> uh, and again, this this is just another example of how humans have evolved and changed over time, but we still carry the same sort of sentiments. We still carry the same ideas and questions throughout our entire existence. Uh, be it that it is indeed a brief existence in comparison to the rest of the universe. Uh, but I, I hope this poem was enjoyable in terms of its its craftsmanship and, and design and style. Uh, but I also hope that it was and i hope this episode had been intriguing enough to, to search and to, to look into those sort of gray areas those sort of uncertainties uh i don't want this <laughs> this episode to be to be the 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 reason one questions their beliefs or faiths uh but i do want it to be something that represents those who have been troubled by or by questioning um their thoughts and methods and beliefs Um, and that I want to reassure you that you're not alone. Uh, I, myself, being as young as I am, have questioned my thoughts and beliefs numerous times and because of that I feel that I've grown to be a better person, uh, at least in my eyes and and in the eyes of my family and friends. So I I only wish upon the same for those listening, that should you ever find yourself questioning your ideas, your beliefs, know that you're not alone and know that there are others out there just like you who are doing the same and that you can reach out to friends, you can reach out to family and come to them and ask them and have personal conversations. And that, that sort of brings a unity, that sort of brings a a more calm uh, a more positive outlook when wondering or questioning such beliefs or ideas it can be very and incredibly reassuring to have someone to talk to you. and i feel that everyone should at least have at least have that one person in their life that they can trust and feel comfortable talking to them when getting into deeper conversation like this and i hope this show has been that for any of those who are listening this is, and I hope this show has been a, a comfort but that is all I have for today's episode uh, again we will continue on this, this intriguing path of uh, the history behind poetry and how we can watch it change and evolve over time um, in the next episode I'm thinking of jumping into uh, the 1700s just going ahead and moving right in um, there's a couple poets on my mind that I want to share with you guys, uh, that I feel that are, are really, really cool. Um, uh, especially in terms of style, uh, we're, we're going to see a very dramatic change in how poems are written, what is considered a good poem, uh, what is considered to be proper formatting, um, and use of themes. So that, that's, that's gotta be a lot of fun. Especially for all my poets out there and all my, uh, all my literature folks out there who just love this stuff like I do. Uh, I hope you all have a great day and keep going. Keep trucking. Thank you to Columbus State's comm department for the space and equipment provided for this show. Thank you to Dr. Gibson, the department chair. Thank you to Dr. Goetz, WCUG's faculty advisor. Uh, You can listen to this show on 88.5 FM Cougar Radio, TuneIn, or SoundCloud. Thank you for listening.